on now? Yeah, great. Well, good morning. My name is Nathan Allen. I'm the missions pastor of New Heights Church and the director of Global Outfitters, which is our missions arm of our church. And you are at Global Sunday. And, uh, you know, all the time I'm, as I go around Fayetteville, people will recognize me from Walmart or Mama Carmen or something, and they're like, hey, you're the missions guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's your name? <laughs> and uh, so I've been known like that for about a year and a half or so. But um, what's funny is for most of my life, I was not the missions guy. I was the opposite of the missions guy. Uh, I didn't understand missions. Uh, I grew up in a church where it wasn't talked about a whole lot. We didn't do a lot to do that. And I didn't understand it. And it, in fact, um, I thought missions was just crappy vacations. And, you know, people would say, hey, do you want to go on a trip overseas? And I'm like, okay, sure. And they're like, great, we're going to sleep on the floor and do construction. I'm like, wait, what? They're like, pack your diarrhea medicine because you're going to have diarrhea. So, for a long time. Uh, did he just make a diarrhea joke in church? Yeah. Uh, man, I didn't understand it. In, in high school, we got a new youth pastor, and he was all about missions. And in the back of the youth room, he had a map, and he had letters from missionaries, and he tried to get us involved. And he's like, Nathan, you got to read this letter from this missionary in Africa. It's incredible. And I said, uh, Aaron, I'm an American. I don't care about that stuff. That's what I told him. Man, I had no idea. I'm sure God was just laughing, you know. But I had no idea that God had the plan to reach all of the world. That was until my sophomore year of college, when God had grace on me and someone sat me down and they opened up God's word and they said, hey, this Bible is not 66 separate books and all these different ideas. It's one book with one theme and that is God's plan to redeem all the nations of the earth. And we started in the beginning, in Genesis, God gave the promise to his servant Abraham. He says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He says, "Uh, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever dishonors you, I will curse. And Abraham, through you, I will reach all the families of the earth. All the families, all the peoples, all the nations, God makes a promise. I ask you, does God keep his promises? Absolutely. He's going to keep his promise. And we went through scripture. He showed me all these different verses about David and Goliath and and all through the Psalms and all these prophecies and all these things about God reaching the nations. And we talked about the commands of Jesus in the New Testament and the gospels to reach the nations. And then we landed in Revelation 7, 9 at the end of scripture. And John gets this vision of heaven and he looks and he says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and all languages standing before the throne, before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And so they're worshiping Jesus around the throne and heaven is, will be filled with all these people. So that's not what the world looks like today though. Right? God keeps his promises. So what's his mechanism to fulfill this promise? It's the church. It's his bride, the church. That's what God has instituted on this earth to make it happen. Jesus didn't just come to die for our sins. Okay, Jesus came into the world to establish 
a world-changing, God-glorifying, gospel-advancing, evil-confronting, Satan-conquering, culture-transforming, community-caring, soul-saving, hell-robbing, truth-proclaiming entity called the church. And God wants to use this church for the whole wide world, all peoples, all nations. We get a great to benefit from the church here, but there's people where the church is not. And Jesus instituted this momentum. He kicked off this with a, a command that we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth was given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we call this command the Great Commission. And it's always been the church's responsibility. So how's the church doing? Well, not that great. A study done last year uh, in October of uh, thousands of active church-going Christians in America says that 51% of them have never even heard of the Great Commission. And of the 25% that have heard of it, they don't even know what it means or what it's about. In the same survey, they would give all of these participants six verses, and only 36% of, of Christians in America could point to Matthew 28 as the Great Commission. If this is what Jesus loves and cares about, shouldn't it be something that we care about? New Heights, let's not be part of that statistic that doesn't know what the Great Commission is. Let's, let's study this verse. Let's know what it means. And so in the beginning of this verse, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. So what is the, why did he say that? Well, people declare their authority because they want obedience to follow, right? When was the last time you heard a police officer say, hey, this is the police, Follow the law if you feel like it, right? No, they want obedience. Jesus says, I have all the authority in all of the heavens and all of the earth. Go and make disciples. This has two implications for our lives. The first one is that this is for all believers. We all need to be making disciples of your children, of your workplace, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your community group, older, younger. People need to be making disciples in this church. What does that mean? It means we need to teach people to be obedient, to share the gospel, to baptize them, to teach the commands of Jesus, how to study and understand God's word, how to pray, and how to repeat this process with other people. That's discipleship. And that's what every believer should be doing, making disciples. The kicker, though, is is what? Make disciples of all nations. And that's kind of where the church has kind of dropped the ball. See, all nations, that Greek word for, for nations is, is ethnos. That's where we get our American word, our English word for ethnicity. See, Jesus doesn't want just a disciple from every continent or every country or every region of every country. He wants a disciple from every unique people group. In missions, nerd talk, okay, we call these ethno-linguistic people groups, Ethno-linguistic people groups. That means if they have their own unique language or culture, they need to be redeemed. God wants to buy them back to be in his family. That's the purpose and the plan of the gospel. So how did the church do? 
Well, the disciples took that message and literally ran with it, okay? They went all over the Mediterranean, expanding the gospel. Even Doubting Thomas went to India. And so all of these disciples are taking the gospel around the Mediterranean. The church grows. And by the 1500s, um, it's pretty much permeated Europe, uh, but it's kind of stopped. And the church didn't take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It was kind of staying there. And what I kind of think is interesting is what happened in my life has happened with the church throughout history. They weren't being a part of what God is doing to reach the nations until someone came along and God had grace on them and told them, hey, it's our responsibility, yours and mine, to be involved. And that person was a man named William Carey. William Carey was a real cool guy. Um, he was born in 1761. From an early age, he got a sickness and all his hair fell out, so he was bald for most of his life. Uh, he grew up in a poor family. They couldn't afford school, so he didn't get to go to high school and get an education. So he did what everyone else did. You had to get a job and a trade. So he became an apprentice cobbler. Now, I'm not talking like peach or apple or something. No, he made shoes, okay? That's what they did back then. Uh, and he had one major passion. Uh, and it wasn't Nike's, okay? It was God's word. And so he learned to read, and often as a young man, like he would take his money to buy used books so he could learn more. And one day in a bookshop, he found a used Greek grammar book. And so he learned it and studied Greek so that he could better understand the Bible. How cool is that? So he would be in his cobbler shop, sitting on a stool, working on shoes with books on the floor as he's reading and studying about God's word. This guy would teach himself Greek and Hebrew to better understand the Bible. And eventually the people in his church that he was going to were like, hey, um, Will, you're much better at the Bible than you are making shoes. So why don't we just hire you to be our pastor? And so he said, square deal. So they hired him. He became a, this new minister at a Baptist church and he starts you know, preaching the gospel every week. And he does what all pastors do as they meet at McDonald's at like 5 a.m., you know, to talk on Monday mornings. Uh, McDonald's didn't exist in 1761, but uh, all the pastors get together and they just chit-chat about what's going on. And so this one pastor um, says, hey, William Carey, you're the new guy. What, you know, what's going on in your church? What are you excited about? And so he stands up and says, uh, guys, I've been a blessed and honored to go through um, God's word and understand Greek and Hebrew better. And so I'm going through these commands of Jesus over and over in every gospel. He says, make disciples of all nations. As God, as Jesus says, as I, for the Father has sent me, so am I sending you into the world. We need to go into all the ends of the earth. And as he's talking about this and getting excited, an older pastor in the group says, young man, sit down. When God wants to reach the heathen, he will do it without your help or mine. And so William Carey was embarrassed. He was crushed and he was angry because he knew that guy was wrong. He knew what the Bible said. So William Carey did what anyone else did back then. When you were mad at somebody, you wrote a book about him. And so William Carey wrote a book, a little pamphlet that was titled An Inquiry into Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. Uh, kind of not a real catchy title, okay? Uh, in fact, we just call it An Inquiry for short. Uh, and so An Inquiry, uh, this little pamphlet, what it lacked inside, it was eight, eight, 83 pages. It made up for impact around the world. 
because this thing was reprinted and reprinted and went all around the globe. It was translated into other languages for other Christians. Eventually, it would get on a boat, this little book, and make its way to America, where a group of five college students would read this little book, and they would end up starting the first six mission agencies in America. This little book changed the world. And so William Carey, in 1793, set sail with his family from England to India, where he would, uh, with his family, and he would do agonizing, difficult, lonely missions work. He was a pioneer. He was taking the gospel where it never was, taking God's kingdom where it hadn't been. And it was a very hard thing. It's grueling to be a pioneer. Carrie would have sickness all the time. He would lose many of his children to disease on the mission field. Eventually, his wife would get sick and die on the mission field. He would face many tragedies. One day, he walked out of his home, and his office, where he would do all his translation work of of Scripture, was on fire, and he lost all his Bible translations. So the next morning, he woke up, and he rebuilt the shack. Who else was going to do it? There's no one else in India but him. Someone's got to do this. And so William Carey described himself as a plotter. I can just keep going. I can just keep walking a little bit at a time. And he made a great impact on India. Eventually, he would make great uh, changes in society. He successfully lobbied and made practices such as child prostitution and widow burning in India illegal. He would revolutionize agriculture and the mail system in India. It was more efficient and people actually got letters. (laughs) It was incredible. And eventually, his greatest feat is he would translate the Bible into six different languages and portions in over 29 different languages. And this guy never even finished high school. How amazing is that? By the time Kerry died in 1834, he spent 41 years in India without one trip home. His greatest legacy wasn't just his own missionary efforts, but that he inspired the work of thousands of other missionaries. People like Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, and thousands of others were inspired by his life motto. This was it. He said, uh, we call him the father of modern missions, by the way, because of his great impact. And his motto was expect great things from God Attempt great things for God. See, if this is God's plan and this is God's vision to reach all the peoples, we can expect his abundant supply for all of our needs. And because of that, we should attempt great efforts to reach people who are lost and without Christ. And here's the thing. William Carey made uh, an incredible impact on the world. But he would have never even gotten there if it wasn't for a man named Andrew Fuller. You may have not have heard of Andrew Fuller. I hadn't before I was doing my research. And Fuller was a fellow pastor. He was a theologian. And uh, he was another pastor, a uh, friend of William Carey's. And like your average Christian in England at the time, saw no need for missions, didn't understand it. And he would attend these pastor meetings where William Carey would challenge people to get involved in missions. And he didn't listen to his cries for compassion. And so one day at the end of the meeting, you know, he sees William Carey and he's looking kind of sad. And he says, Carey, what's, what's the matter? And he said, another meeting, another call to reach the lost, and yet nothing is done. Those words pierced Andrew Fuller's heart. And so he would eventually read William Carey's book and get involved. And in October of 1792, he would found the first ever mission society in England in his living room. And he invited all these people over to hear what was going on. And William Carey told a little story, a a little parable. He said, 
when we look at the world with all its lostness and we don't know where these people are in the world, it's like we're lowering someone down a well or an abandoned mine to go explore and find these lost people and tell them about Christ. And Carrie looked at the crowd and said, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the rope. To which Andrew Fuller replied, I will hold the rope as long as I live. And he did that very thing. For the next 21 years, Fuller served as the leader of this missions organization. He would raise funds. He would write articles about missionaries and the lostness in the world. He would mobilize other believers to get involved and recruit other churches to send out missionaries. And here's what I think is the greatest thing. He would send personal letters to all the missionaries on the front lines, encouraging them in their work to redeem the lost people. So here's my question. Who's more important? The rescuer who goes down the well or the rope holder who's up top holding the rope? Paul unpacks the scripture for us and helps us understand. He says in Romans 10, 13 through 15, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So how then can they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never even heard about? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul lines it up, okay? There are three people in this little story. There's the lost guy who's never heard of Jesus, who has no idea what the gospel is and what God did for him. We have the preacher who goes and tells him, hey, you don't have to live a life of sin and shame. Jesus wanted you to be in his family so badly that he sent his son to be murdered, to pay for all of your shame so you can be adopted into his place. And there's the sender, the person who allows all of it to happen, the rope holder who's making this possible. So here's my question for you. Who's more important? The preacher, the, the goer, or the rope holder, the guy up top? It's a trick question. They're both important. You cannot have one without the other. Who's gonna go down if there's no one up top holding the rope? And if you're just putting a rope down a well, nothing's gonna happen, right? Both of these have to happen to make this possible. And here's what's interesting. William Carey's little story about someone going down the mine to rescue it, rescue lost people, is still true today. The difference is the map, uh, the, the mine is no longer unexplored. The, the well has been mapped. We know exactly where they are and who they are. There are 17,000 unique ethno-linguistic people groups in the world. And 7,000 of them are still in the well. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus has given us the Great Commission. It's been 225 years since William Carey told us we all have to do this. It's our responsibility. And there's still 7,000 groups of people down the well. Something has got to change. And you know what's going to do it? What's going to make it possible? It's the church. And the church needs rescuers and the church needs rope holders. So if you feel that God is wanting to use you to be a rescuer, to, to go overseas and preach the gospel to unreached peoples who don't know Jesus, maybe there's not a Bible in their language, they've never even met a Christian or a missionary, let's talk. That's my job at Global Outfitters and New Heights Church. It's to help equip people and train them. And if you wanna go, hey, there's a list. Okay, these are not hurdles. This is training. We don't want people to go overseas and fail, have to come back home, 
right? We want people to be successful and to finish the mission. And so I don't expect you to read this whole list, but just know there's a poster in the back at Global Outfitters table. You have to complete these things before New Heights will be your sending church. And we want our people to be successful. But you know what? If you're in this gym right now, odds are you're not gonna be a rescuer. So what does that mean? You're not involved? Romans totally explained what we have to do. You either go or you send or you're disobedient. Those are your options. So as a church, how can we be better senders? That's what we're gonna talk about. How can we be good rope holders? Here are five traits of being a good rope holder. The first one is you're active in ministry. If you're in this gym, if you're part of New Heights Church, ministry is not for those going down the well. God has called you and asked you and commanded you to make disciples where you are at. You have a realm of influence, a sphere of influence that is unique to you. Your workplace, the classrooms you're in, the school you're at, the neighborhood you live. There are people that God wants you to take the gospel to. It's not just an A team, B team thing. We are all called to be involved in this. And you know what? When you're active in ministry, you can better relate to the guy who's down the well. Okay, good rope holders are active in ministry. Second, they're good communicators. They're good communicators. Hey, uh, when William Carey set sail to India, if Andrew Fuller wanted to write him a letter, at a minimum, it would take six months for him to get the letter. Six months. It would be years before they would find out that their parents died years ago. I mean, there's no way for them to communicate. In today's world and technology, it's incredible. Last week, I was able to talk with Sean and Jenny Richards. They live in an island in the South Pacific near Papua New Guinea. This island is called Monum Island with the Monum people group, tribal group that lives on the island. It's three uh, square miles around, and it's an active volcano, like it erupted in 2015. Here's the crazy thing. They're living at this hunt with solar um, solar power electricity on Monum Island, and they have 3G cell phone coverage. Is that not amazing? I texted him, hey, would you like to FaceTime sometime? Boom, incoming message, FaceTime. I mean, we have missionaries on the other side of the planet and we can talk to them with little computers in our pockets. Is that not incredible? And I was able to talk to them and they showed me their house and we were able to see what's going on. And I asked them, I said, Sean and Jenny, you guys are missionaries overseas. Um, what can we do as a church? So I'm talking about being better rope holders. They said, the number one thing, be a good communicator. Be a good communicator. We're on the internet. We have social media and we're telling you what God is doing in our lives. Like our post, comment on it, encourage us. Know that we're there. We're on the other side of the planet on an island with no one who looks like us or talks like us. Encourage us through social media. Also, with today's technology, with email updates, many of our global workers spend hours writing long emails with pictures and stories and oftentimes they get no replies. And with email services like MailChimp, our missionaries know exactly who opened it and how long they read it for and exactly what they clicked on. Even though God is doing incredible things in their ministry, their email updates can be some of the most discouraging things because people aren't replying and commenting. Sean and Jenny said their favorite rope holder is an elderly lady at a church that Jenny grew up in. And she said, every single month we send out an update This old lady sends the same thing every time. Every time, every month, she says, I've read this, I'm praying for this. I've read this, I'm praying for this. Every month. And she's faithful. 
And they know, hey, she's busy. She's got a lot going on, but she reads it and she says she's praying for it and we trust her and it's a great blessing to us. Replying to emails is a great way to be a great communicator, which leads us to the next thing. Uh, global, uh, good rope holders are uh, good prayers. Okay, they're praying. We are a church that believes in pray, prayer, right? When we pray, God does stuff he wouldn't do if he, we didn't pray. Let me say that again. When we pray, God does stuff he wouldn't have done if we didn't pray. Prayer is powerful and effective. And these global, men, not a month goes by that I don't get a prayer request from our global workers saying, hey, I'm tired, I'm lonely, we're having government problems, we don't have a visa, our kids are sick. We need to be praying for our rescuers. We need to be praying for the lost because our, our rescuers are going to places with people who don't know their language, who don't want them there and have no idea who Jesus is. We need to pray that God softens their heart, that the gospel will land on good soil, that they can be effective in their ministry. And the third thing we need to be praying for is more laborers. If Jesus were to give you a prayer request, if he were to come to your community group this week and say, hey, I have a prayer request. Jesus talks like that, I guess. And you know, he would say, my prayer request is Luke 10 2. He said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to God to send out more workers. That's his prayer request. And if you're like me, I get busy and I just forget. So you know what I did? I set an alarm on my phone. Do what I did. Set an alarm on your phone for 10.02. And when it goes off, pray Luke 10.2. God, you say the harvest is great and the workers are few. God, I pray that we'd send out more workers to unreached peoples who don't know you. That's that easy. So global workers need to be active in ministry, a good communicator. They need to be praying hard and they need to be great financial investors. Have you ever played Monopoly? We would play a lot of times at like Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, it only takes 12 hours and uh, we'd be playing and, you know, it's really fun because you get to make your older brother pay you rent, you know, and you get to like buy property and stuff. But let me tell you, the worst part about um, Monopoly, besides arguing over the rules all the time with your family, uh, the worst part of Monopoly is when it's over, your empire that you've created, they take all of your property and all of the money and everything you've acquired and they put it in a box and they put it away and it's over. That same thing will happen in your life. God will take all of your property and all of your treasure and all of your money and all of your things and put them away and say, what did you invest to me? What did you give to God's kingdom? Because God says those who invest in his kingdom will have great rewards in heaven. And it's the only thing that will last forever. Everything you've ever touched on this earth will be gone. Yet only the things you've invested in will last. Be a good financial giver. Just start small. Get a budget. Do you give more to Netflix than you do to missions? That's 10 bucks a month. You can do it. Or is it 15? No, I don't remember. Anyway, man, give to the nations. Invest in things that last forever. When you're a faithful giver to New Heights, we try to leverage our money to our missionaries. And that's the last thing. Know who's down the well. Can you name our missionaries? Can you name how many we have? What countries they are at? We need to be good rope holders, okay? We actually have 58 global workers in 29 countries. And all of their countries they're in are represented by these flags around the room. It shows where they're at. Can you name those flags? I don't say that to make you feel guilty, but we just need to do a better job. 
Just learn a couple of them, meet them, get to know a few, ask how you can pray for them, get to know your global workers. And that's what we're gonna do right now. We've got two global workers, Jack and Lael Crabtree. They live uh, in Papua New Guinea. That's their family. And they came home uh, for a home leave because they've been overseas for several years, but also uh, to have a new baby. Isn't that cute? That's baby Anya. And uh, Jack and Lael, we're so blessed that you guys are here. And so I just wanna ask you, tell us about... Uh, where you live and what it's like there. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Um, we live on the island of Papua New Guinea. It's over off the coast of Australia. It's a beautiful place. We live like on the top of a mountain in a village called Pinji, and we work among the Wantakia people. Um, so like I said, like it's absolutely gorgeous there. It's like I stand in awe of God's creation when I walk out my front door every day. Um, it's a blessing to get to live there. Um, also, there's just this dichotomy. It's a beautiful place to live, but it's also a very dark place to live. Like literally, there's no electricity in our village, so it's literally very dark there. But also um, spiritually, like the longer we're there, we see just culturally just some of the darkness that it's okay to beat your wife. Um, it's okay for polygamy to exist, for men to have multiple wives, um, just the longer we're there, the more darkness we see. And so it's beautiful, but also very dark. So why are you living here? What's your goal to be with these people? Yeah, so we're with an organization called Ethnos 360. It used to be New Tribes Mission. And um, we basically look for people groups who have uh, no written language, no Bible translation, no church. And uh, those are the people that we prioritize. And our goal is to see a mature church established where it's not already. And so we, we see that, okay, in order to be become mature believers, it's not just enough that they become converted or they believe, but we want to see them reach maturity and they need God's word in their own language. Mm-hmm. And they need to be able to read and write in their own language and study God's word. Otherwise, the missionary is just the ultimate source of truth. If you guys, you have an English translation, imagine if none of you are literate. How can you evaluate anything Nathan said to you this morning? You're just taking his word for it. That's what it used to be for us English speakers, but it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. But for the Wantakean people and thousands of other language groups, it's still like that. There's no way for them to have a higher authority on truth from God's word. And so, man, that's what we're all about is seeing a mature church established right. in these kind of places. That's awesome. So you guys were college students at New Heights, and now you live in the jungle. So how did you get from here to there? What did that look like? It was a long process. Um, so we took perspectives back in 2006 and just got destroyed. Um, <laughs> we it, highly we took, recommend it. Yeah, yeah, definitely go get destroyed if you haven't already been. It's awesome. So at, at that time, we, we were like, okay, we're sold out. We want to do something among the unreached. Uh, we had a lot of Hindu friends, Muslim friends, and we were thinking, okay, maybe we're going that direction. But we heard about, okay, there's tribal people who live out in the jungle. They haven't heard yet. And we thought, well, that's great that someone's going to reach them because we saw in Revelation it is going to happen. But it's not for me. And it was kind of like the lowest thing on our list. Like, we just don't want to do that. But the Lord was faithful, and he just kept, he was patient with us. And honestly, we were kind of afraid. And we were letting fear kind of dictate our major life decisions, and that's never a good thing. And I just got really honest with God, and I said, God... I know that you want to see these tribal people reach, and I know that you're using the church to do that, and that's incredible. But honestly, I just don't want to do that kind of ministry. I don't have a desire for it. 
but if it's what you have for Layla and I, can you give us that desire? I did not want to live in the jungle, I'll tell you that. (laughs) And so within like literally a matter of weeks, he put people in our path and different things happened and all our fears just poof, went up in smoke and we got excited about doing this and now we're we're out there. You guys see the knife? Everyone has a knife there, by the way. Oh, so, anyway. I didn't see that, no. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, man, now we're in Papua New Guinea, out in the middle of nowhere. It's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, in your time, you've been several years on the field. Uh, what have you seen uh, that was really hard, and how did you see a rope holder kind of help you through that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I feel like when we first moved out to Wantakia, the people were just amazing, like so welcoming. They're such a communal society. Like they were bringing us food because we didn't have a garden yet. They were worried about us. Like they wanted to take care of us. Um, They still, they want to take care of us and protect us. Like amazing people. We were just building relationships quickly. Um, They're just, we love the Wantakians. They're amazing people. And, um, So I feel like as the relationships got deeper, though, we started to get to know our friends. And one day, my friend Talisi came to me. Uh, She's like one of my best friends, my number one language helper. Um, She came to me and she said, yeah, my husband, he's gotten another wife. Um, Like, not like they got divorced and he got another wife. Like, he just took on a new wife. Um, And he's not taking care of me anymore. And we already have... We already have a girl, I'm pregnant, like I just don't think I want to keep this baby. And it hit me, like in Wantakia, they don't have ultrasounds, they don't have clinics, If they don't have abortion even. So if she's going to get rid of her baby, that means she's going to, like after her baby is born, she's going to kill it. And so, you know, and there's really no stopping a lady that wants to do that because in Wantakia, they go outside the village when it's time to have the baby, they go to their birthing hut. And they basically deliver, after the first baby, they deliver their own babies. And so she told me this, and it just, I feel like it just hit me, just the weight of, like, darkness. And just for them, that's okay. Like, it's culturally acceptable to do that for a variety of reasons. And so I just, like, my heart just hurt for Talisi. And I just feel like in that moment, I realized, man, these people are amazing. Like, they're so friendly and great, but man, like Satan has been lying to them for thousands of years. They're living in darkness and they don't know the truth. And, um, I just, she's such one of my good friends. I feel like it just hit me hard. Like, wow, like she needs the gospel. She needs the truth. And, um, there's a rope holder back home. She writes fairly frequently and she, every morning at 3.30 AM, she wakes up. She says the Lord wakes her up at 3.30 on the dot every day. And she prays for us, for our team, for the Wantakian people. They're like her people. And um, she asked for people by name that she can be praying for. Um, and so she asked one day, and I just told her to pray for Tylisi. And just knowing that I could tell her this story, that I could give her Tylisi's name, um, it just meant a lot. And, you know, she ended up keeping her baby in the end. And I feel like just that prayer support, I mean, it was just amazing. I don't know. So, so it was cool to see. this friend at home, this rope holder person who never met Talisi, prays for her, and God changes her heart, and she keeps her baby. Yeah. So you're saying rope holders can actually make an impact. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. For me and for our people, that's you right. know. Yeah. So my next question is just as New Heights Church, as rope holders, like what are some practical things we can do to serve you guys and the rest of our missionaries? 
Yeah, man. Um, when we're out there in, in the bush, you, you guys, like today, you guys are going to be doing this. There's these cards, like encouragement cards that you guys fill out. It's incredible. Like you, you can't imagine how encouraging that is. You're out there. Sometimes you feel alone. And uh, then all of a sudden, the chopper lands. You see these cards, people that you know from your home. And, man, it's just it's hard to explain. Um, yeah, it's hard to explain the impact of those. So that's awesome. But then to echo like what Sean was saying, Sean and Jenny, we went to school here. We were roommates in, at the U of A. And now we're over on the other side of the world together in Papua New Guinea. It's crazy how the Lord works sometimes. Um, all the stuff he said is totally r- right on. Like, man, if there are so many awesome missionaries back here along the wall. They've got tables set up. If you don't know them, go get to know them and join their newsletter list. When they send out a newsletter, man, just respond. Even if it just takes you 30 seconds and it's something short, do that. If something really hits you hard and you write them a novel back, that's awesome. That's even better. Like, um, so uh, that and social media, just make a comment on there. It just helps us. It helps us remember that it is the body of Christ working together to see this thing done. It's not these, you know, pioneer people out there doing it all on their own. It's walking with the Lord and His church together, and that's how this whole Great Commission thing gets done. And so the more that you guys are able to just give a little bit of time to encourage a global worker, you have no idea. You might not even know until eternity the impact that that little reply made in that moment when he opened the email and read it. We don't know, but we got to be faithful. So that's my encouragement. Just right. take a little time. And to do that, we're going to have to subscribe to the email list of our global workers, find them on Facebook, follow them, all that stuff. Yeah. That's great. Thank you guys so much. Let's give them Thanks. a hand. Thank you. Thank you for being Thanks, here. And so Jack and Lael are just two of our 58 global workers in 29 countries. And so we want to highlight them as well. So we've got a quick video that's going to show our people around the world. Let's check them out. See if you spot anybody you know or someone you want to get to know. We have a lot of global workers and we need a lot of rope holders. So what's your next step? What are you going to do to become better? If you want to become a rescuer, you want to be a global worker someday, go to the Global Outfitters table in the back and learn more how you can begin that process. But if you're a rope holder, how are you going to grow in being a rope holder? What are you going to do to pray, to give, to better communicate, to get to know our global workers? Uh, In the back, there's lots of tables of our missionaries who are home. Get to meet them. Invite them to your community group this week. Take them out to lunch. Get to know them while they're here. And uh, for the people that aren't here, we're going to have a time to send these encouragement notes. So on the sides of the room are tables. We've got the cards, the pins, the envelopes. Just write an encouraging note. It's got their prayer requests right there. Uh, Write an encouraging note to them. Put it in the envelope, put it in the box, and we, New Heights, will make sure they get it. Encourage them. It means uh, so much to those workers, just like uh, Jack said. So... My, my ask to you this morning is don't be one of the 51% of American Christians who don't know the Great Commission and who aren't involved. Be a part what is God what God is doing. Go, sin, but don't be disobedient. And like Jack said, maybe you were like me growing up. Maybe you hate missions. Maybe you don't understand it. Pray that God would give you his heart and that you would grow to the thing, that your heart would grow in the things that um, God wants you to have. You would grow to have his heart and love the things God loves. God doesn't have to use us. He 
we get to be used by him for his glory. We get to be rope holders and rescuers. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel, that it came to us, that we got to hear of your good news, that our hearts were changed, that you sent Jesus to buy us and adopt us into your family. And God, that gospel came to us in this room because it's on its way to someone else. God, would you show us who that is? Someone in our workplace, someone in our community group, someone uh, down the street from us. God, would you show us who uh, and, and where we can be obedient for now? And God, I pray that we would all be involved in this great commission story, that you're using the church to expand the church all around the globe. God, would you allow us to grow in these things of being rescuers and rope holders? God, I pray what Jesus asks us to pray. The harvest is great. There are 7,000 groups that do not know you. God, would you raise up people from this church, Northwest Arkansas, and America to go to the nations that do not have you. God, we pray that you would give us the courage and the obedience to take the next steps in front of us to be involved in this awesome mission 